Macy's one-day sale is going on now with great deals of the day to get prepped for the spring season. Like 40% off wardrobe refreshes from Style Co. And 40% off the perfect bags and wallets to complete your look. Plus get 50 to 60% off kitchen and dining essentials from Hotel Collection, Oak, The Cellar, and more. Star Rewards members earn rewards even faster during Macy's Star Money bonus days. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. This time on Millennial. Well, that makes me feel better, Andrew, that you're kind of owning up to your excessive Twitter activity. Mm-hmm. That's your gift to Pam and myself for International <laughs> feel Wednesday. Feel a little less ashamed now. <laughs> yeah, but overall screen time is pretty bad for you too. There's a lot of fish in the sea. Why waste your time with somebody who doesn't agree with you politically? <laughs> right. Well, and also like the same goes for the other person. Why... Why should a conservative want to waste their time with me? Maybe because they love you, Laura, outside of politics. Maybe that's why. (sighs) Do we have to start this over next week and just (laughs) check in with the first five and be like, hey, have you done it? How you doing? (laughs) Rachel, you said you were going to read 40 books in 2022. How many have you read? (laughs) If we had thought further further ahead, we would have had these people leave their phone numbers and we could have just called them. Called to check up. Oh my God, that would freak people out. (laughs) I know, but how funny would that be? It'd be good for the show. (laughs) Welcome to Millennial, the home of fake adulting, but real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. There's been a lot of headlines in the news this week with the gas prices on the rise. In fact, just today, the day that we are recording, uh, Tuesday, March 8th, U.S. gas prices hit a high of $4.17 a gallon on average, the highest it's been since 2008. Are you two feeling this at the pump? I I am in the very fortunate position to be working remotely. So this is not something that has as much of an impact on me, but it's a crunch that people are definitely feeling. And I don't envy anyone who finds themselves in the position of having to gas up their car like weekly right now. It sucks. Yeah, I so I also work from home. So I feel like I don't have too much of a leg to stand on. But I did go put gas at Costco over the weekend. I sent you all my receipt. It was $5 basically, because when it's $4.99, I feel like it's okay to round up. And that was at Costco. And I'm sure it's gone up since then, because that was a few days ago. So I can't imagine how much more it is at other gas stations that aren't wholesale discount places. And I also can't imagine how hard it must be for people to commute. My mom currently has a like about like a 30, 40 mile commute, and she's already thinking about taking the the train a couple of times a week, especially with daylight savings time coming up this week. That oh, sucks. Yeah. So, oh, man. Yeah. I forgot that's coming up. You guys know yeah. how I hate the time change. I no, know. This I is know. the good. <sighs> this is the good one, though. This is I the know good it's, one. It's the good one. But can we just keep it? This is my plea every year. Like once we get back on daylight savings time, can we just stay on it? I'm so fucking tired of this falling back. Springing forward is particularly brutal, at least for me. I'm not a morning person to start with. So the springing You're losing forward an hour. really sucks. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Laura has a hybrid. 
I have an electric car. By the way, mm-hmm. charging an electric car is a joke. It costs literally a dollar to quote unquote fill up the, the whole car. It's the prices are wonderful. If you're charging at home, it's more if you're charging out and about. But did you two know? And I don't think Americans realize this. It's actually a lot more expensive over in the UK, for example. Of course, prices are going to vary all over the country, but I or all over the world. But I was just looking, seven eighty nine a gallon yeah, over in the it's UK. Always, and it's, it's always been, been more. more expensive. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I believe that it's part of it is because of the they have like a different process for what they accept in terms of how refined the oil is. But also mm. the UK has really good public transportation, which is yeah. something that can't Jealous. be said for so many places in the United States. Mm-hmm. Even like San Francisco doesn't have great transportation. Um, New York does. I I talk about how much I miss public transportation all the time. Like if I could move to a city or if I could bring something over to anywhere I was living, it would be public transportation because it's so easy to just pay for that instead of ha- instead of having to pay for fuel or having to like sit in traffic for yeah. hours. You listen to music, you read a book, exactly. you stare at your exactly. phone, you play a game. Now, prices might go up more over the coming weeks here in America. Hopefully, it's going to be peaking soon. The Biden administration announced today that they are banning oil from Russia as part of the sanctions against uh, Russia for this invasion of Ukraine. We only get 10% of our oil from Russia. So, you know, we still have plenty coming in from elsewhere. I don't think this if prices go up, it's not necessarily continue to go up. It's not necessarily because we are uh, no longer buying oil from Russia. And I believe the administration announced last week that they were getting something like 160 million barrels of oil released from reserves to make sure that this does not cause a problem in terms of the supply chain here in the States. That said, the total picture of like the global situation currently is not helping gas prices right now. No. And there are predictions it will get worse. Mm -hmm. But there might be an end in sight. So we'll see. Let's just hope they're not this high around the midterms later this year, because that's a real deciding factor for people. Going to be seeing more and more of those. I did that Joe Biden stickers. Oh, uh, yeah. Ugh, yeah. 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 The president really doesn't have anything to do with Control the price the, of the gas. Prices. Like, I feel like it's a reminder that the country needs every few years. It's like this. That's not a thing. Really, um, you know, there are plenty of other things that you can take issue with the president over. Biden is not immune to that. He and his administration are not perfect. There are certainly valid things that you can critique them on. The gas situation has gotten so out of control that somebody close to me, their employer is considering setting a gas price threshold, wherein if gas prices hit a certain point, people working at this company will no longer have to commute to work. They can work from home. Oh, my God. That's where we're at. (laughs) Oh, my God. I guess that's nice. I thought you were going to say they were going to reimburse, like some companies will reimburse for miles outside of the commute. But I guess that would be cheaper to just let people work from home. Yeah. And of course, they've realized they can their employees can work from home and things go on as normal. It sounds like a really shitty sequel to COVID. Yeah. It's like work from home part two. Gas boogaloo. Gas prices suckaloo. Whatever. (laughs) 
So lots to get to today, as always. I wanted to offer maybe a little PSA, and I was inspired after seeing a post on social media. You don't have to comment on every global crisis. And the reason I say this is I saw this great post by Sirut K. Chala. Maybe Chala. I'm surely pronouncing it wrong. I apologize. But she made this card on social media that says, you are not morally obliged to comment on every global crisis. And then she has five points about this. And so I thought we could go one by one through these points because I find them very validating. I don't know about YouTube, but to an extent over the years, I have been in moments where I'm like, everybody's talking about something on social media. Should I be commenting on this too? And really, the answer is no, at least in my opinion. There is a ton of pressure on the internet to have a take on things and always have to say something. And some people might notice that you're not saying something and then they get a little saltier. They're like, well, why isn't that person saying anything? Shouldn't everybody say something? And I think we also feel this too here on the show. Is there a line that we draw when deciding whether to comment on something or not. Maybe it's domestic versus international, or maybe a type of issue you're particularly passionate about versus one you don't study as much. Where do you draw the line? For me, it's the line exists sort of at the point where I feel satisfactorily informed to be speaking about it. Um, I'm not going to say I've always done this. I know that, you know, in the history of being on the internet, we've all spoken out of turn at times. And what I don't like doing is speaking out about something in good faith because it, it feels like something that you should have a strong opinion on, but then realizing very quickly that I'm actually not as informed as I should be to be speaking on the topic. Um, So I think, for example, you know, we really struggled with regard to the lead up to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, you know, when to say something. Week after week, we were like, do we do it now? Do we do it now? Um, And it was just really hard to know where to draw that line because it is such a complicated situation that is ongoing We're also trying to keep the show balanced and we're trying to make sure that while it's informative for people, it also serves as an escape for them as well. Um, So it is kind of a tough balancing act sometimes. But for me, it really does seem like uh, being well informed is like the first barrier for me before I would want to say anything. For me, it depends on the issue, but I think... To Laura's point, I do try to make sure that anything I'm speaking out upon, I am informed in. I think the interesting thing about journalism, which is what I went to school for, is that you kind of have to make peace with the fact that you're never going to know everything and you're never Mm -hmm. going to be an expert on what they might ask you to cover. So it's not necessarily that I am afraid to speak out on topics if I don't consider myself an expert, because most of the time I'm not. I'm talking to people to to kind of make to understand it better and then using their words to help other people understand too. But I do think that it's a fine line to cross because you also don't want to um, misinform anybody. And to that point as well, especially with this show um, in particular, you also have to remember that we are a weekly show 
And so we are aware of the fact that um, especially when news is happening now and when things are changing so quickly, if we were to have covered Ukraine right when it started, by the time that some people listen to our show, it's already old news. So then you have to yeah. balance out whether or not you're misinforming people. And that's a huge responsibility, even with our tiny reach. You right. know, like we're not the New York Times, we're not CNN, but we're still very hyper aware of trying to make sure that anybody that listens is getting a good enough picture to be able to like turn around and hopefully help other people understand too. So there's a lot of like ethics that comes down to, um, to something like this as well. Yeah. For me, I have felt getting back to, uh, part of this question, domestic versus international. I'm probably more inclined to comment on something if it's happening here in America versus something like Ukraine. Why would I comment on that? outside of this podcast like it serves the podcast to be talking about it here it's an important issue of course um but what is it what do i add by commenting on social media about it on the other hand you take something like george floyd that happened here in america that was a real breaking point for this country it was it was a real really important moment and I think all Americans, at least people who were shaken by what occurred, um, they they felt the need to say something because we're just so tired of the mistreatment of black people and other people of color in this country. But then, yeah, of course, like issues like you were saying, Laura, something that uh, uh, an issue that maybe you're more, more passionate about or maybe that's more of your brand, to be honest. Like some people are going to tweet about J.K. Rowling, that whole situation, and uh, especially Harry Potter fans, whereas um, non-Harry Potter fans might really not have so much to add about that issue, even though it's a very real one. Yeah. And something that's kind of an interesting... Um, observation to have here. I noticed we have in the notes, why did none of us specifically tweet or post about Ukraine? Pam, I seem to recall that you had a really good distinction that we can make here. Would you mind sharing that? Yeah. So for me, where I draw the line in this particular case is how much time and energy I'm focusing on trying to prepare for the moment where we have to talk about Ukraine on this show specifically. And I think something that often gets lost in translation is that people are so quick to attack others for not posting across every social media platform. And honestly, that's something that really grinds my gears because, you know, like if somebody says to me, why haven't you spoken out about Ukraine? My gut reaction is to be like, well, but I have, I just you, not doing it on Twitter, you know, mm -hmm. but it takes a lot of time and effort and research to understand that conflict enough to do something even like the breaking news installment that we did. So it's not necessarily that it's hard to find our opinions on what's going on, because we're all easily Googleable. We all link to this show on our social media platforms like Twitter, where a lot of this discussion is happening. So it's very easy for anybody to say, well, like this person didn't tweet, but you know, they spent 20 minutes talking about this issue right. on a podcast. And I feel like using my voice on this show is going to reach more people and potentially do more good than it would for me to retweet a bunch of stuff that a lot of people are just going to scan over and not even pay that much attention to. Yeah, I agree. Though I'll be honest, like if we didn't have this podcast, I probably wouldn't go and tweet about it. Like, yeah, I agree with you that I 
I've been saying stuff here and I feel like that is sufficient. But on the other hand, I probably wouldn't comment on Twitter either because what does it add really? And I know there's power in numbers and there's a good case to be made there. But I think the main takeaway I want our listeners to get from this is you shouldn't feel like you always need to comment on every topic, even if it's super important to you, because social media is what? 10, maybe 15 years old. What were people doing before social media? Social media didn't come along and suddenly save planet Earth. Things got worse, if anything. That, you know, before social media, we would maybe talk to our friends about it over text, a phone call in person. Maybe we would go out and protest. And of course, that's great too. Always has been, always will be. But there's no reason there should be any obligation to ever post stuff on social media, post about an issue on social media, in my opinion. Honestly. Because this is all relatively new and it's not, it doesn't always help. I would also argue that having conversations and taking the time, if you can, and if you're um, informed enough on an issue, taking time to have those conversations with people in your life or friends that ask questions, family members that ask questions, probably would do way more good than retweeting a link to a story that some people might just retweet but don't actually bother to read. Um, With regards to Ukraine, for example, I was having a conversation last weekend with my cousin, who's much younger than I am, just graduated from high school. And he was saying like, oh, I've been keeping up with all the news. I've been watching it nonstop. And I said, well, where are you getting your news coverage from? And we had a really great conversation about news sources and how to distinct, distinct between false news and more accurate news and stuff like that. I feel like that is a better use of my time, honestly, than retweeting something. And I don't know. I'm sure some people won't agree, but it feels better to me to be actively trying to to help in a way that I can versus just being a, a social justice warrior on a social media platform. Yeah. Sometimes I really struggle personally with deciding, like, should I say something like on Twitter? I don't use Facebook at all for any kind of personal updates anymore. Um, But really, over the last couple of years, I've stepped back from social media quite a bit. Um, I'm sure Andrew and Pam know um, that I used to be really active on Twitter. Like I posted a lot on Twitter. um, But I've really taken stock over the last couple of years of what the impact uh, of that is on my, you know, life in general, but also my mental health. If I constantly feel like I'm having to have a take on everything um, all of the time, um, because as one person, it's simply not possible to have a hot take on everything all of the time. Um, But there are times where I think to myself, you know, it probably would have an important impact, even if for only, you know, the very small reach that I have on Twitter, if I were to say something about this. Um, I think, for example, about the com- the great conversation we had with uh, Chloe and Micah a few weeks ago about how rampant anti-Semitism is in Western culture, and the very simple impact of non-Jewish people speaking up when they see 
cases of anti-Semitism and making sure to say, hey, I see this too. And Jewish people are not the like Jewish people are not the only ones seeing this. There are allies who see this too. Um, so I think it is important to kind of know sort of what those opportunities are if you're inclined to be posting on social media about these things. But as a general rule, I see a lot of stuff in the news that makes my blood boil. <laughs> and if I were posting about all of it all of the time, I think it would have, it would be like a net negative <laughs> because my reach only goes so far and it would have a negative impact on me right? to be interacting with it so much. So there's very little upside there. Yeah. When, I mean, and no offense, but I feel the same exact way. Like my yeah. reach on Twitter is relatively so small. Yeah. And most people like Laura or Pam, you mentioned just like people just fly on by in the feeds, myself included. Like we take a fraction of a second to actually read most tweets. <laughs> and and it's just it's I don't think it's it's adding much, you know, reaching out to people privately that that probably makes a, a much larger impact. Yeah. But I also had a thought. Do you think that sometimes there's you notice people on Twitter who are commenting on everything just to look woke? I feel like I see that with some specific people. Yeah. And I really wonder like okay, maybe they want that to be their brand where you know, they're one of the woke people on Twitter and one day they're going to be one of these people who like tweets a a uh, snarky comment about an issue like Ukraine or Putin or whatever else, and it's going to get likes and retweets like crazy. I, f- I really sense some people are in it for nefarious reasons. This is also my problem with people holding celebrities accountable. And I, I put that in quotations because there's a lot of like for lack of a better word, there's a lot of bullying and and wanting to force people with larger platforms to speak up and use their voice. And I get that there is a value in that because to be a celebrity automatically gives you a way bigger platform than most normal people have. But at the same time, I'm always thinking to myself like, well, I don't want my favorite person to, to be doing this because they're forced and they want to keep up appearances. Like I want them to say something because they truly believe in what they're putting out there. And I think that that kind of falls in line with, with what you're talking about here where people, um, are being, you know, even normal people feel the need to be fake woke because they're trying to to keep up or maybe do too much. Yeah, I I definitely get annoyed with it and I think sometimes it's really hard to articulate what virtue signaling through social media looks like, but I think for anyone who's active on social media, you can kind you can just tell when you've come across an account where sort of like it's all the account does and it sort of treats each event as a one-off. So where it's like, yes, I, I think it's great if people want to be vocal about particular issues. I think it's more impactful if you're continuing to elevate these issues, make them a dialogue doing research, making resources available to your followers, you know, to me, that shows a certain amount of dedication that makes 
the dialogue feel genuine. But if it's someone who just treats each outrage um, or like, you know, horrible, tragic situation as like a one-off story that they never talk about again, then it just really feels um, inauthentic. Yeah, that's a really good point. They're just jumping from topic to topic to, to, oh, let me look and see what's trending today. Okay, I'm going to comment on this. And then they move on to something else the next day. That's that's a really good observation and a good way to look out for the fakeness. I think also just the frequency of it. I think you were sort of getting at this a couple minutes ago. I'm seeing certain people who are commenting on things nearly daily. If there was something to comment on every day, they would. And it's like, what's your background on this issue? Why do you think you're an expert? And that's another thing. Everybody feels the pressure to tweet when nobody is an expert on any of this. Even the people that are invited to be on CNN and MSNBC, you know, taking Ukraine, for example, nobody knows what's actually going to happen over there. But we 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 take everybody's uh, opinions as fact and we elevate these people. It's just like unless you really, really know what you're talking about, maybe you should never be tweeting anything. But that's the other problem. It's like you don't you don't know what everybody's background is on certain topics. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think, you know, speaking of background, and I'm actually seeing this um, echoed in the discord, there can sometimes be a tendency towards expecting uh, someone to have a take on something because of their gender identity, race, sexual orientation, religion. Um, So like if something happens, you know, George Floyd, for example, it it was not uncommon to see on social media this expectation that every black person was going to want to talk about that or that they had a take on it. And that's also damaging because you just don't know what people are going through in their day to day lives. And it's OK to not want to sort of wear your emotions on your sleeve very publicly that way. Um, And it's also okay to just not even know how to react, right? And not to feel like you need to have a reaction or share it publicly. Yeah, I completely agree with that. To run through these other points, I read the first one, you are not morally, morally obliged to comment on every global crisis. The other ones were... You don't have to publicly demonstrate your emotional reactions. You don't have to prove you care. None of this social media crap is important. Don't be bullied by it. I really like that point because it feels like we're being bullied when we see so many other people commenting on a topic. You feel like you need to get in or else uh, you're you're not a part of the conversation and that's bad. Two other points here. It's okay to have an opinion or not have one or not know enough to have one. And finally, it's okay if you don't understand the intricacies of a complicated issue yet. I like how they added yet to the end of that, because I think we've all been there. Like, take again, Ukraine and Russia. You do have to take the time to educate yourself. And you can't rush the stuff, by the way. You know, you can't just study up and suddenly be an expert. It's going to take multiple weeks or months to really understand a topic. And then maybe you can comment on it. But that's what I found in in doing these shows over the years. Like maybe I want to be an instant expert on a topic, on a topic but I, I can't in a short period of time. I can't just sit there and cram. I have to study what's going on for a number of weeks. 
And am I an expert on Ukraine? Hell no. But I know a lot more than I did a few weeks ago. And it's simply by checking news on a daily basis, seeing people talk about these topics, etc. Yeah. And I think, too, there can often be sort of a rush to simplify things. And that's something that I always kind of struggle with when we're talking about these kinds of conflicts here on the show. Um, Because on the one hand, it's like, it's probably not reasonable to expect any of us, I know no one here on this panel, to my knowledge, please correct me if I'm wrong, um, or probably most of our listeners, or probably most people who live in the West, have any kind of deep understanding of how complicated Russian history is with regard to its relationship with its government and these um, sort of former Soviet satellite states and how sort of Russia's relationship to, um, you know, its national identity plays a big role in this. Those are not things that I feel qualified to speak about. So then the alternative is like, okay, how do we give people a TLDR without sort of falling into stereotypes, for example, of like what the situation is? So it it can sometimes be really challenging to boil a complicated situation down to like its most basic um, pillars to kind of like give people a layman's understanding of what's going on. So that's also a challenge that comes with like tackling these kinds of issues is how do I talk about it um, sensitively, but also accurately. Mm -hmm. Um, So that that was something that when we were having our Russia conversation in our breaking news a couple of weeks ago, I was like, oh my gosh, okay, (laughs) this is very important. Um, I hope I don't fuck this up. And to your point, I mean, I I, I don't think that most people realize how much skill goes into or how much research goes into, you know, like a five minute explanation that is easily digestible. So I give you a lot of credit for oftentimes tackling those larger stories so that we can have good discussions on this show because it's not easy to do. Putting together any discussion for a podcast that you're trying to keep around an hour, not easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, I did want to end on a little related story. So about two weeks ago now, we made a statement at the top of MuggleCast saying, hey, we stand with the people of Ukraine and, uh, you know, just voicing our support for them and what's going on, acknowledging the situation. And a few days ago, we got two emails from listeners saying, why haven't you commented on the other issues that have gone on in the world? Um, And somebody specifically mentioned uh, other conflicts, including ones going on in the African continent and in the Middle East and in Asia. And while, yes, they bring up some great points, you know, Western media, we tend to focus on the West and and uh, Europe, they thought it was odd that we were commenting on the Ukrainian conflicts because we haven't commented on other conflicts. And it's like, we're here in America. We pay close attention to Europe. I know, Laura, you mentioned in our Slack, we're practically approaching World War III. 
Most of our audience is American. We found it important and European. We found it important to bring it up now. This is just one of those examples of how you can't win. And why is MuggleCast going to a Harry Potter co- podcast going to comment on every issue going on in the world? That's really not. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's not interacting in good faith. I think you're right in a perfect world. Everybody would be aware of everything, but the harsh reality of the situation is that most people are only aware of global conflicts if it's directly affecting the country they live in. And unfortunately for people outside of the United States, they are often forced to understand what's going on in the United States because it's a global powerhouse and what we do affects everybody else. In contrast, a lot of these other countries, even if they're on the rise, do not directly affect the American people unless something like the Russia-Ukraine conflict happens, and it does, you know, mm-hmm. specifically because of our ties to NATO. So it's not necessarily right, but unfortunately, that's just the way things are. Yeah. And I always feel really torn on these things because it can be really easy to be like, man, we're... an <laughs> We're an independently run show like we don't uh, like we we create, produce and serve as talent on our shows. Um, And it can be really hard sometimes to get that feedback and, and sort of feel like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be able to do here to contribute in this space. On the other hand, it shows me that there are people who are kind of expecting the best from us, which Mm -hmm. is like super humbling and I deeply appreciate. Um, I would just say, you know, in those cases, we have, you know, Facebook groups, for example, like the millennial Facebook group is a great place where people share all kinds of things in that group that they feel, you know, aren't getting as much coverage as they would like to see, whether it's from their favorite podcast or in the uh, mainstream media. And we're super supportive of that. So if there's something that you want to share with the millennial community that you're not hearing here on the show, join our Facebook group. Yeah, we said it. We just promoted Facebook. You heard us. (laughs) (laughs) We hate Facebook, but it's a necessary evil. The groups are good. Yeah, the groups are the only good thing left. Again, like I said, if you take any anything away from this, don't feel like you have to comment on every situation or any situation. You don't have to read what you want. I definitely encourage educating yourself. We we all do on on as many topics as you can handle. But we all have our limits. And social media, like I said, only came into existence 10, 15 years ago. And there's no rule, nor will there ever be, nor should there ever be, that states you need to comment on everything or anything on social media. The world's okay without it. Yeah. And if you are ever feeling an internal struggle... about, you know, whether or not you should say something or what's the right way to say something, what's the right timing, you know, who's it going to impact? Will it have an impact? Just know that you're not alone Mm -hmm. in feeling those feelings. I think most people feel that way when it comes to um, sort of 
really um, heavily publicized global issues like what's going on in Ukraine, um, because it is on everyone's mind right now. You can sometimes feel some pressure to have an opinion or have a hot take, and you're not alone in feeling that pressure. I think most of us are feeling that way. And I would say most of us, with the exception of maybe Russian historians and foreign policy experts, don't have the answers. And it's okay not to have the answers. So that was a more serious topic. But for the rest of today's episode, we will be having some lighter discussions. So time for a palate cleanser. What's going on over at TikTok? Well, TikTok is also making waves, but for very different reasons. They actually announced last week that they are looking to introduce a 10-minute video limit, which is kind of crazy because TikTok, as most of us know, really kind of came up as the antithesis to something like YouTube, where long-form content is way more prevalent. And a lot of people gravitate toward gravitate towards TikTok because all of the content is bite-sized and digestible. So this is a huge leap because the previous limit was three minutes. Uh, This was upped from 60 seconds, and they actually upped the limit to three minutes back in July of last year. And I think we also have to remember that TikTok was kind of a Vine clone. Remember Vine? Then Twitter bought it and Mm -hmm. killed it. Very short videos. What, five to 10 seconds max? And that was the appeal of Vine. They were bite-sized, like you mentioned. Yeah, I think they were six seconds. That was the limit. that's right. Man, Vine was so good. Vine walked so that TikTok could run. It's gotten to the point where people have recycled old Vines and started posting them on TikTok. And I'm like, no, stop the thievery. Vine is our thing. Like, how dare you stand where he stood? I know, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, you the, stand the, on the shoulders of giants, TikTok. The 10 minute video limit coming to TikTok is also significant because I'm old enough to remember a time when YouTube had a 10 minute limit, upload limit. And when they got rid of that, that was that was a very big deal and kind of shocking. And now, of course, we go on YouTube, we'll see videos that are hours upon hours long. And just 10 minutes on TikTok. The the big thing with TikTok is, of course, most people are using it on their phone. That requires holding up your phone to watch one video for 10 minutes. Right. And it doesn't seem like they're interested, at least for now. Maybe there are plans behind the scenes, but we have not heard that they're interested in, you know, developing an app that you could say, download to your Roku or your Apple TV so that you can watch this long form content on a different device other than your phone. Um, I feel like, you know, as with most things, people are just going to have to learn how to get used to this. But for conversation's sake, um, Laura, I wanted to know, because you and I as far as this panel goes, probably use TikTok the most out of the three of us. Uh, Do you worry that the shift is going to change the type of content that we love to see on that platform? Yes. It's already kind of a problem on TikTok where people, again, they're trying to educate others in these bite-sized formats. And I fear that moving to a 10-minute limit introduces the YouTube problem of people going down those rabbit holes to educate themselves in the name of, you know, alternative sources. So 
that kind of thing worries me. Also, what makes TikTok a fun and funny escape from this, you know, shitty timeline we're living in is that they're bite-sized, they're often humorous, or they're feel-good videos, and you just kind of lose the the snappiness of it if you move to a 10-minute format. And to be fair, there are a lot of people that do um, multiple part installments, and I've definitely fallen down that rabbit hole myself, especially if it's a topic I'm particularly interested in. At the same time, it's very few and far between that most people actually have to utilize that three minutes. And my whole thing, maybe this is like the journalist in me, but if you can do it snappier, then why aren't you just making it shorter? You know, it's yeah. not like ads run in between your TikToks. We just talked about that not long ago on this show. So there's really no reason to make something longer than it needs to be. Yeah. I mean, one of the nice things about Twitter early on, before, especially before they increased the character limit, is that the short form, the, the limits really encourage people to think about how they can make their message as concise and quick as possible and pack as much information in there in a short amount of time. If TikTok is going up to 10 minutes, you know, people can spread out. They can spend more time trying to hook you at the beginning without getting to the information faster. We see that on YouTube a lot. The first five minutes of the video will be the person saying, so you want to learn how to restart your computer. This is a problem that a lot of people, instead of getting straight to the information because they want you to watch longer to increase those metrics and maybe the number of ads that you see. So it another the other angle here is that why can't TikTok just stick with three minutes? They should have stuck with like one minute, but why not just stick with three minutes and let that be your thing? You are the home of short form video. Now you're becoming another YouTube. Nobody wants that. People want the short form video. That's why they like you. What in general is our attention span for TikTok? Like, what's your sweet spot for a time limit? Because I, I think honestly, for for the most part, mine is maybe like 90 seconds on TikTok. I'd say a little shorter, like a minute. I definitely prefer the 15 second videos. I just find them funnier and more heartwarming. If I see that somebody has a multi-part video or if, God forbid, they're getting sort of super personal about something going on in their personal life that I don't care about, I will just swipe past that. So I would say in general, I prefer the shorter videos for sure. This is why podcasts are so great. You don't need to hold a phone up and stare at a screen and actually watch something. With podcasts, you get to enjoy it wherever you are. You don't have to hold up a device or stare at a screen. They are wherever you are. And this is why I've always been into podcasts as a medium over YouTube, even though I don't have the face for YouTube. I have a face for podcasting. That's why I like the medium, but also because people truly can listen to these anywhere. That's why they're so exciting. doesn't matter if it's an hour or if it's 10 minutes. They can uh, consume a podcast in the same exact place. So I think, Andrew, you brought up uh, this next point here about giving an update on our screen time usage. Yeah, I thought it was Is your idea, right? too, you but curious. maybe not. <laughs> oh, okay, I think we both probably thought it was each other's idea, but I could definitely spearhead it. So um, the last time we did this was on episode 438, and... Because we're talking about TikTok, which is all on the phone, we thought it might be fun to revisit what our old averages were and see if we've gone up or down. 
Um, so to recap, Laura was averaging three hours and 51 minutes per day. Um, I was averaging three hours and 30 minutes per day. And Andrew was averaging two hours and 26 minutes per day. So least addicted guys- to my phone. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. When you guys were looking at last week's average usage, um, what were your stats? <laughs> I this I purposely didn't look at it until just now because I wanted I thought I'd you know do it for the show. I do my reaction on the show. Hashtag I'm so for disa- the show. Yeah, I'm so disappointed in myself. Last week's average was five hours and seven minutes, and I Laura. hate myself for it. Laura, oh, damn. Laura, I'm about to make you feel better because I'm also wearing a cone of shame right now. Uh, my average was six hours and 39 minutes. Last. Okay, what cool. Are you we, two can, doing we can wear on the your cones phone of shame for together. a quarter of the day. It's so much. That's so it's sad. So much. No wonder you two are addicted okay, to like, Amazon. Make us feel worse. <laughs> Tell me how much your average was. <laughs> two you hours and twenty six minutes was my average. Still? Yes, still. I haven't gotten more addicted to my phone. That's really impressive. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Thank and you. see, I started scrolling back through prior weeks to be like, oh, maybe last week was like an outlier. No. No. <laughs> no, like it was it was in the five hour and ten minute range. Um, so something happened. Mark is sitting here laughing at me, by the way, um, because he thinks I'm on my phone way too much. I think it's something that honestly picked up during the pandemic and it's mostly due to TikTok. I can tell you what my number one most used app is. Hold on, don't say that because as part of this game, I wanted I oh, wanted Andrew okay. to guess how much time we spent last week on TikTok each. So now with this new information about how much how many hours you each are spending per day on your phone, uh, for both of you, well, okay, no, for oh god, I feel so awful saying this, but Laura, I'm gonna guess you spend. I'll be a little conservative, ninety minutes a day on TikTok. Um, it varies. Should I share the answer? Yeah, sure. Right now. Um, so my in the last week, the most uh, that I spent on TikTok was an hour and 22 minutes. And that's not okay. consecutively. That's just throughout the whole day. Right. Um, and then the least was 38 minutes. Okay. 38 isn't bad yeah. for a social media app. Hour 20. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot yeah, of time. I know. <laughs> and Pam, I'm going to say you spent less on TikTok per day. Uh, I'll say an hour on average. I So my average, according to, to these stats, it, it was about what Laura was, honestly, it was an hour and 41 minutes. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. For the this, this is like for the week. An hour and 41 minutes for an entire week or per day? Well, is, I think... It says, yeah, it says last week. That's what I'm looking at. I just took a screenshot. But yeah. Laura, you're you range around an hour a day. It looks like, yeah, like and you just thirty minutes to an hour ish. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> so to be if... fair, I feel like that's a little low, um, for last week because I, I, I you know, sometimes you kind of think, oh, I haven't checked TikTok in a while. Yeah, yeah. I have been trying to use it less. Because I have definitely felt myself getting sucked into TikTok and then looking up and realizing like an hour has gone by super quickly when I could have been doing something else. 
Um, So I have been making a conscious effort not to be on it quite as much, but I'm still on it a lot. My biggest social media apps are TweetBot, which is Twitter, uh, a third party Twitter app. It's really good, by the way. I average about 25 minutes a day there. And then Instagram, which I also average about 25 minutes a day. Now, I will say I am on my computer pretty much all day. And I am I always have Twitter open on the left side of my screen unless I'm editing. So I, I'm basically on Twitter all day, which is really sad. Um, and then I am checking Facebook throughout the day. Instagram, you basically have to check on your phone because they don't have an app. They have a website, but it's just not the same. Yeah, so, you wouldn't check there. Well, that makes me feel better, Andrew, that you're kind of owning up to your excessive Twitter activity. Um, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's your gift to Pam and myself for International (laughs) Wednesday. I feel a little less ashamed now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but overall screen time is pretty bad for you two every day. It's not great. I mean, I will say as phones become a more necessary part of work i think that's part of it too um yeah i was gonna ask that i'm not gonna sit here and say that i don't have high social media usage on my phone because i definitely do um but there are certain things that i use it for related to work um including this podcast i mean Slack is one of my uh, top used apps, and it's because that's how we communicate for both of the shows that we do. So that's a consideration, too. Um, If you're looking at your usage and feeling bad about it, ask yourself, well, what are the like productive things I do? (laughs) And I can subtract those from the average and make it sound better. I know. Like Safari was my top used I don't know how application last week. And so I like to believe that it was probably because I was looking for stories and I'm sure a lot of it was that. Yeah, yeah, it's research. It's not like I'm spending five hours a a day on TikTok. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, TikTok would be a good one. Although at least like TikTok can be informative. Tetris. Mm -hmm. There you go. Like some kind of like random game. Yeah, I will say, Pam, Safari was my third. Um just oh, behind okay. TikTok and messages. Yeah, mine was um, Safari, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. So a lot of social media on there. I haven't turned on screen time on my Mac because I don't want to know how much time I'm actually spending oh, God. on my Mac yeah. every day. It'll be like at least eight hours most weekdays. And well, you know, uh... I, speaking of the like the features with the new update, they have. You know, you can customize the do not disturb. And so I've noticed that I'm reaching for my phone more now because I I let certain people contact me when I'm in just like normal work. Do not disturb mode. I set that up. And now I'm realizing that it was probably better when you could just like not customize it at all because I was definitely picking up my phone way less than I am now. Are Laura and I in your work focus that you have set up on your iPhone? Of course. Can we break through? <laughs> yes. 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 Aww. Good to know. Good to know. Mm-hmm. You're a top tier elite. Oh my God, Woo! I'm a VIP. Top tier yes. elite. I like the sound of that. Mm-hmm. Just because it's you like told me that, close I'm, friends. But... I'm gonna oh. add you. I'm gonna add you two to my uh, sleep focus, so you can text oh, and call okay. me while I sleep. I was gonna sleep. say I was not in your work focus. Already. I don't have the work stuff set up. Uh, fitness, okay. I block everyone except for Pat. Uh, Do not disturb, which I use for sleep. 
um, I use, you know, wow, I added my Laura, family. We, we've really made it now. We can contact Andrew in the middle of the night for emergencies. Check out yep. this 10 minute TikTok. Great. Just what I want. <laughs> hey, look, mom, I made it. <laughs> All right. One more topic to get to today. Right now, Scribd is offering our listeners two months of Scribd for only 99 cents. Go to try.scribd.com slash millennial to get your first two months for less than $1. That's try.scribd.com slash millennial to get your first two months for less than $1. All right. Well, to bring us home today, we're going to talk about a couple of confessionals that we've gotten recently. Um, This first one is actually a throwback. Um, The person who wrote in with this confessional reached out to us on season four, episode six. Um, So that's been a few years ago. We'll link to that in the show notes in case you want to hear the original confessional. Um, But they did get in touch with us for an update. Um, That update says, I sent in a confessional a few years ago regarding me coming out to myself as a cross-dresser and being accepting of that part of myself. As time has gone by, I've enjoyed occasional stints of feeling more feminine and dressing up, but there has been a new development. I've come out to myself as a transgender woman and have begun hormone treatment. I'm excited to see changes and to be truly happy with my body, but I'm also scared. I'm in the Dallas area and I'm close with my family, my conservative Christian Trump voting family, and I have no idea how they will react when I eventually have to come out to them. In all fairness to them, I don't think they disown me or anything like that. But as an example, I can't imagine my 80-year-old grandfather ever calling me by my preferred name or pronouns, and I picture my parents feeling ashamed. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'd surprise me. But another thing, if I were to transition, I'd be a lesbian. I think their brains might explode. What's more, I don't know what to do about my career. I'm a teacher in a specialized field, and I'm concerned that my transitioning would be a point of controversy. I almost feel like I have to choose between following through with my transition or sticking with the career I love. Part of me thinks maybe I should take a year off teaching so I can start presenting as female and finding myself and then hopefully return. Should I abandon teaching altogether anyway because of the crappy insurance that covers very little of the potential upcoming gender-affirming treatments and surgeries I may have down the line in favor of some place like Starbucks that offers really inclusive insurance benefits? Any thoughts or advice would be helpful and much appreciated. I will also keep an eye on the Facebook group to see if anyone else has any suggestions. Well, first of all, congrats on coming out. That's fantastic and sharing the news with us. Yeah, we're so excited for you. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. like when this email came into our inbox, when I read the first paragraph, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I love when these get these when we get these kinds of updates from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we're just all so happy that you've discovered this and you've <laughs> I don't know the right way. I mean, the decision to transition and come out. Yeah. I, guess. yeah, I mean, yeah. just yeah, that I think simple. we're just proud of you for I'm, putting yourself first and, and mm-hmm. doing what feels right for you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
I don't know if we'll have answers to all of your questions, though I would encourage, speaking of Facebook groups, to find groups where uh, people like you are transitioning. Maybe that could be helpful to to answer some of your questions. In terms of the family, I can, in terms of your family, I can put it, I can share my experience with my family coming out. Um, my parents realized I was gay before I actually came out to them, so it wasn't a shock to them. But my 80-year-old grandfather uh, was actually very supportive. He was shocked at first, um, but he quickly came around. And take this for what you will, but he's a big uh, fan of Jeopardy. And recently, there was a trans woman on Jeopardy, 40 episodes she uh, played. Me and my grandfather spoke about her when I was last home. And he was using her pronouns and was actually very impressed by her this is just my grandfather. It's anecdotal. But my point is, people can come around in time. And I wouldn't expect your parents and your grandfather to come around in an instant. But in time, they very well may. Hold out hope for that. Yeah, it, I really hope that they do. And I can't speak to this in any kind of way because I've never I've never had to come out. Um, so Andrew's definitely better poised to speak to that topic. But I have to think that in a lot of cases, family, you know, particularly parents with their children, when it's something that involves their child, I think for a lot of parents, it's kind of an awakening moment where it's no longer sort of this nebulous alien thing that they only hear talked about on TV. It's real because it's you and your identity and they love you. And it sounds like you have a really close relationship with them. So my hope is that they eventually would come around. But we would really love it if you would keep us posted. I love that you followed up with us after all these years to let us know about this update. Um, And again, we're just so happy for you on the career front. I really don't know that we're the best people to offer advice here. Um, I think that it is a smart consideration to be thinking about where can you get the best insurance that offers the kind of coverage that you'll need for the potential gender-affirming surgeries you'll be considering. Um, But I do know that we have a lot of people in our Facebook group who specialize in a ton of different areas. And I really do encourage you to post there because you'll get some good advice. Um, We actually have um, a couple of folks who are licensed therapists who might be able to offer um, some pointers. And of course, this is like my (laughs) weekly recommendation to um, seek out therapy if you haven't had a chance to do so yet. Um, because you may get some helpful um, guidance there and also affirmation, which you deserve. I was also going to uh, suggest therapy specifically because talking to somebody who is well-versed and can help you navigate this next part of your story, um, they could also provide some reading materials that might help your family understand your situation better and uh, or not situation, but just, you know, how you wish to present yourself to the world. And I think a lot of times um, 
it's it's hard to find the words to explain, but being ready to say, this is who I am, and here's some reading that you can do to to help you understand me better, you know, it might take a little bit of the pressure off of you. Obviously, it's always going to be hard to to come out no matter what you're coming out as, but but I, I definitely think that speaking with somebody that that is a licensed professional could really help you figure out how to do this and and when is the right time to do this and and how to do this in a way that makes you also feel safe as well, because that's very important, too. Again, thank you so much for updating us on where you're at. Please keep us posted. Our inbox is always open. Mm-hmm. Our second confessional leads us into a little conversation about how complicated it can be to um, date someone where maybe the circumstances aren't the most conventional and figuring out how to explain that to other people in your life. Um, So the confessional writer says, so I broke up with my ex in April of 2021 and haven't really been dating, but I was supposed to visit an optometrist, my friend's sister, but on the day of my appointment, I was scheduled to see someone else instead, her boss, who is 69. And throughout my appointment, he seemed like a really cute guy, so I plucked up the courage and asked him out for coffee. Ten months later, I am without a doubt very happy with this man. My close friends all know about him and are really, really happy for me and us. But the problem is, how do I tell other people like my mom and family um, who are Muslim and slightly conservative? Should I even tell them? I think you should tell them in time. I assume that you want to. And I think if yeah. you want to feel most open and free in this relationship, that's probably going to require telling them. And I think it'll be hopefully an exciting moment for you so long as they support you. But I also understand where you're coming from, where there's a big age gap here. I don't think this writer shared their age, right? But I presume they're in their 30s, maybe, or 40s. Yeah, I think it's a significant age gap is the implication. I personally wouldn't be dating somebody significantly older than me, but I don't make any judgments against people who do. And and good for you. I mean, that must have taken uh, very large balls to ask a clearly older man to go out on a date with you. I just would have assumed he was taken, though I guess maybe you saw there was no ring or so you thought it was okay. I just love that um, you had this kind of meet cute circumstance where you weren't supposed to be having an appointment with him, but it ended up happening and you clearly vibed and you popped the question, popped the question, but like, you know what I mean? (laughs) You you were the one who broached the topic of going out for coffee to see if, things might evolve further. I think that it would be really hard to keep this a secret from your family. And similar to the discussion we just had with our last confessional, I have to think that, you know, maybe they won't understand at first, but they do love you. And if they see how happy this man makes you, my hope is that they would come around in time. Um, But I can understand why it would be a little bit tricky to explain, especially like, for example, 
69, that's older than both of my parents. So if I were dating someone who was 69, I would be thinking about (laughs) how I was going to broach that to my parents because I don't think it's unreasonable for your parents' first reaction to be like, he's old enough to be your father. But I don't necessarily think that that's a reason why you shouldn't date somebody. It's more about the person and the dynamics that are involved. And if you're safe and happy and everyone is like consenting and on the same page, then I don't see a problem here. I I know that there's a cultural aspect here as well, which I'm not Muslim, but I can definitely speak to that because in the Hispanic culture, you Well, at least in my family, you're not really introducing somebody to your family unless you're super serious about them. But I think the fact that you're even grappling with whether or not you should probably means that you are serious. And and so it's it's probably smart to to think about how to navigate that. But I think that Laura is right. The, The fact that you're happy should be the most important thing. And and I I would assume that your family would want the best for you. And so if 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 this person is is the best for you and brings out the best in you, then then I would hope that that they'll be accepting of that. And I would convey that to your mom like this person brings out the best in me. Literally say that this person means everything to me. I want to spend the rest of my life with this person, like literally say all those things so they can really understand how important this person is to you. And plus be like, think of all the eye, free eye care we're going to get thanks to being with this optometrist. <laughs> right. But you I can hope also there's like... a lot of eye puns in this relationship, too. Like, EYE, <laughs> love you. EYE, see something in you. I, was I don't need glasses that... to see our love. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, too, I'm not sure if this person has, has in the past um, brought partners home to meet their family. But if you haven't, or if you haven't done so regularly, then I think that that would be something that would be important to point out as well. See, then you can tell your parents, you know, like, look, you know that I, I'm, I'm not very quick to bring partners around. So the fact that I want you to meet this person that's very important in my life is a big deal. Such a good point. My feelings towards you are always in focus. Have you heard of Felix Gray? I hear about them all the time on Millennium. Oh if you need any more God. pickup lines oh and puns, let me know. I-, I can come up with some more for you. <laughs> Andrew was so excited when he saw this confessional. He was like, oh, man. Listen, this writer got you. I just thought this up for like the next six Valentine's days, at least. I just thought this up right now. I'm thinking on the fly. Well, we did turn to our Facebook group as well as our confessional for some other examples of people who have found themselves in relationships where the circumstances maybe aren't the most conventional and shared how they were feeling about you know, beginning to share that with their friends and family, um, mainly confessional writers, so that you know you're not alone. I think it's actually more common than most people realize to find yourself in this kind of situation. Um, Andrew, you want to read the first one so it's not just me monologuing? Yeah, my husband and I have been polyamorous since 2013, and my parents still don't know. It was a huge secret at first, but we've been sharing more with friends and people we know will be most likely accepting. Some of his family knows, mine does not. 
Um, This next one says, my partner is 14 years older than me, although he was a refugee from the Vietnam War, so his actual birth year is a little iffy. I was 22 when we started dating. We met at a bar, and his oldest daughter was 16. It was weird. It was weird for her, and it was weird for me. Pam, you want to take this next one? My husband is seven years younger than I am, and I lied to my family about the age difference until I knew we were serious. Only one person ended up having an issue about it, and they just had issues with everything. Oh, yeah. Screw that person. (laughs) (laughs) This next one says, my boyfriend is from Mexico. He came here about 20 years ago for work. He has crossed the border both with and without documents over the years, and at the present time, he is here undocumented. He is married and has kids in Mexico, but has been separated from his wife for seven years. He wants to go back to Mexico to arrange a divorce so we can move on with our lives, but is afraid that he may not make it back since he is undocumented. Fortunately, my family has been understanding and really likes him a lot, but the situation is unconventional and frustrating. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Mm-hmm. And this last one, my husband is 18 years older than I am. He just turned 49 and I will be 31 this year. Because we met on a level playing field, both working the same retail position, I never felt weird about his age. I did, however, feel weird telling people about our age gap, especially because his oldest nephews are only a few years younger than I am. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see that. But look, man, love just wins out sometimes. That's all that matters. Might be weird from time to time, but worth it, right? Yeah. Sure sounds like it for these people. Yeah, I will say here, I, I wanted to amplify something that Chloe actually shared with me. She and I were talking about this and sort of um perceptions around age gaps in romantic relationships in the United States versus outside of the U.S. And um, it really does seem like this is more of a taboo thing in the U.S. than maybe it is in other cultures. And that's a consideration to keep in mind, um, you know, when thinking about this and thinking about how we talk about it. Um, Because I think having grown up in the States, we may have been socialized one way around age differences in relationships um, that really aren't seen as taboo in other parts of the world. Um, So it was just one thing that I wanted to share. And I really appreciated Chloe's input on that. Um, She had a conversation with her mother, who we're all obsessed with on this show. (laughs) Um, And they had some really good points that I wanted to make sure to at least make reference to in the show today. Um, Andrew, hmm. thinking though about non-conventional relationships or unconventional relationships and trying to lighten things up a little bit before we wrap up the show, uh, I think you have a dumb deal breaker. Well, I hope you two have dumb deal breakers, too, because we are planning this. We thought we could discuss, like, what are deal breakers that, you know, you just have to kind of take in jest. But also you might be serious about. Okay. So my dumb deal breaker, please, listeners, don't get mad at me, especially if you don't use iPhones. I don't want to date someone who uses Android. And what I'm saying here is not if if you can't afford a smartphone then I don't want to date you. What I'm saying is if you choose Android over Apple, 
I question you and your judgment. And it all comes down <laughs> to those green text bubbles. And Apple knows we iPhone users love chatting with people who have the blue bubbles, not the green ones. We silently judge the people who we start texting with and we're getting green bubbles. Apple has acknowledged they know people really love, prefer the blue bubbles over the green. There have been emails that have leaked in which they discuss this matter. This is why they don't bring iMessage to Android, because they know some people are shamed into moving to iPhone, so they're not that green bubble in the group chat. Don't want to be the green bubble. I have to say, um, so... Mark had an iPhone for the first couple of years we were dating each other. And after that point, he switched over to an Android. And I was like, hmm, this feels like false advertising. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I fell in I, love I with you because you use iPhone. <laughs> no, I, I just, of course, it is a little we have a family group text that he's in and he's the only Android in the group text. So it ruins the group text. It you can't do the, the likes text. and the loves and all that. Yeah. yeah. Special effects. He's ignoring me right now. Um <laughs> no, it's it's fine. Um so something it's it initially sounds like a dumb deal breaker, but I think it evolves into something that's a bit more serious. Um probably doesn't come as a surprise to anyone that uh, at this point in my life, moving forward, I could never be with a Republican. <laughs> I didn't I didn't used to feel that way. I uh -huh. like when I was younger, I was more like, yeah, like it's it's OK to have ideological differences and we should be able to be tolerant of that. And um, I just discovered that it's not so much about. Uh, a sports team mentality where it's like you're you're red and I'm blue. It's some significant <laughs> differences in values. And I just realized I ain't got time for that. I'm not going to compromise my values. Yeah. There's um, a lot of fish so, in the sea. Why waste your time with somebody yeah. who doesn't agree with you politically? <laughs> right. Well, and also like the same goes for the other person. Why yeah. Why should a conservative want to waste their time with me? Maybe because they love you, Laura, outside of politics. Maybe that's why. Listen, as somebody <laughs> that is like single, I am constantly surprised by how many conservatives and moderates are like clearly okay. Or maybe just don't even scroll down far enough to see that I've ticked the liberal box because I've tried to weed out. You know, weed out <laughs> certain people. Well, yeah, I mean, like to Laura's point, I, I think, hmm, I, I'm, I would say that I, I might draw the line at I wouldn't date anybody that voted for Trump specifically, or that would vote for yeah. him again for any reason. For any, I don't care if if their reason was, oh, he was the lesser of the two evils. It's like no, because. I cannot in good faith be with somebody that decided that it was okay to vote for somebody despite all of the toxic vitriol he spewed over the years. I, I can't get past that. I wouldn't be able to because I feel like that says a lot about you and what you value. So, mm -hmm. Well, and it says a lot about um, your positions on things that impact other people, other people yes. that have nothing to do with you. And so that's my sticking point it's like if mm -hmm. you're it's it's more of a it's a larger kind of umbrella issue of if you're taking the time to concern yourself with 
other people's lives um, and how they live them in ways that have no impact on you, but you're wanting to deny them their liberty to do so, then I don't want anything to do with you. Unfortunately, that is the current state of a lot of people (laughs) who are very vocal on that side of things. It's not always the case, though. Like we have, you know, friend of the show, Parker, who Mm -hmm. we've had on a couple of times, like he's great. I, you know, we don't agree on a lot of things, but he's a rational, sane person. So it's not to paint with a broad brush and say that everyone's like that, but it is uh, a definite difference in values that I used to be like a little bit more, I don't know if hippy dippy is like the right word for it, but I was like, yeah, like love love everyone, man, you know, exactly. And it's like, no, I actually can't. And to that point, there are, there are some people that just, don't care or they just don't talk about politics and their relationship couldn't be me clearly could yeah. not be you you no. know but i know that some people are happy just not putting that on the table at all my sister for example yes yeah, yeah. any others deal breakers be they I, dumb or not i had so dumb? one from like a like it, this is like a real life experience that i pulled from but um, I, I, I realized in my college years that I, I would be fine with dating somebody who didn't want to be on social media, but I would not be fine dating somebody that didn't want me to be on social media because that's part of my job. Oh, and it sounds yeah. like so funny, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't have to like put you on there if you don't want to be on there, but also like, I cannot not be on there. And also like, I don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Don't you said this really happened. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This really happened. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, that yeah. sounds like a hippie. I didn't realize that until later. This guy was like, I think he was just like a little bit paranoid. I met him in my one of my international relations classes. And there's a lot of crossover between international relations students and people that are studying criminal justice or criminal law. He really wanted to be a police officer. Um, and so he was like hyper paranoid about anything that he was doing or re- like he was linked to going up on the internet. And so then I just thought to myself, like, this is, you're great, but this is not for me. (laughs) I just need to, we can't go further than this, but it was fun. So. And now it's time for the final installment of Millennials Make Commitment. For the last time, I will say we asked our listeners to submit their commitments they're making to themselves in 2022, and we promised to read all of them on air to sort of hold everybody accountable, or at least help hold everybody accountable if we're solidifying these commitments by reading them on air. So we have six more to read today. Shannon said, get this promotion or get a new job. Christy said, speaking of jobs, quitting my job as a high school teacher and switching careers. I am completely done with the abusive and exploitative relationship that I have with my job. Gabby said, I will start a new yoga for kids business aside from my regular teaching job in the hopes of dealing better with my finances this year. Dominique said, I want to start working out and eating better. Would be nice to lose 20 to 50 pounds by the end of the year. Laura, another Laura, said to complete my tenor binder for school and have a better workout plan during the school year. And finally, Mary Jo bringing us home a very simple one. Knit a sweater. Oh, I love that. Wholesome. Yeah. Yeah. Wholesome, attainable. Yeah. Love it. 
So now do we have to start this over next week and just <laughs> check in with the first five and be like, hey, have you done it? How you Rachel, doing? <laughs> you said you were going to read 40 books in 2022. How many have you read? Hope it's at least. Imagine if that was part of it. <laughs> Katie, you said you're going to get a driver's license by the end Honestly, of the year. If we had thought further further ahead, we would have had these people leave their phone numbers and we could have just called them. Like, <laughs> called to check up. Oh, my God. That would freak people out. Surprise. How I know, many but books how funny would that be? Be good for the show. Keegan, you said you're going to come to every episode of Millennial that releases in 2022. How's that going? I mean, we have all these people's emails. We can email them. <laughs> I forgot about that one. <laughs> Anyway, well, thanks, everybody who submitted those. Hopefully, our reading these on there maybe inspired you a little bit. We thought it would be fun to see what everybody is uh, committing, the commitments that they're making this year. Coming up in After Dark today, I'm excited to announce it's the return of Muggle Suck. So for the uninitiated, this is a special feature we do in After Dark from time to time. It's been over a year since the last Muggle Suck installment, at least one that we planned. We uh, basically talk about our days in the Harry Potter fandom and being a part of MuggleNet and uh, the the podcast MuggleCast that we that Laura and I still do today. Actually, speaking of MuggleCast, Laura <laughs> Pam was just on it the other day. Check out Pam's appearance on MuggleCast wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you listen to Millennial. And yeah, so we're gonna talk shit on on the MuggleNet days. And uh, I know our listeners really like this, and many of our listeners submitted some questions. We've told so many stories over the years at this point that we need your help in jogging our memories. So we like when you submit questions, and that way we can remember things. Uh, we got some good questions this time, so we'll get to those. That'll be available at patreon.com slash millennial. You get instant access to years of After Dark content, our uh, planning docs, our live streams, our exclusive Discord group that's just for patrons, which is a lot of fun, uh, especially during the live streams because people are sounding off, reacting in real time as we record this episode and every episode. Lots more benefits. Check them all out at patreon.com slash millennial. And now it's time for recommendations. I recommend scrolling to the bottom of every spam email that you receive and clicking the unsubscribe link that's right there. Did you know that the U.S. has a law called can spam? This is enforced by the Federal Trade Commission, and it states that you, the spammer, must include an obvious way for subscribers to opt out of commercial messages. Every email that you receive from a commercial resource, sometimes, you know, they're genuine. You may actually have signed up for an email, let's say from Netflix. Uh, but a lot of the time we get spam and we didn't sign up for any of, any of these emails. I'm somebody who manages their email inbox very closely. My inbox currently says five messages unread because these are five messages I have to tend to. Some people, they don't go through all their emails. I do. To help manage my inbox, I actually scroll to the bottom of emails and I hit the unsubscribe link. And I recommend you do that too, because there are links in every email to unsubscribe. I would like to recommend Archive 81 on Netflix. Um, this is a really cool show that if you're into like creepy stuff uh, like I am, uh, it's got a really cool premise. The dialogue isn't the greatest at times, and sometimes the character motivations are a little frustrating. But the overall premise is really cool, has to do with a cult and time travel. 
uh, and like old archival video footage. So it was a really fun watch. It's also based on a podcast. So I'm looking at that and being like, hey, Netflix, when are you going to make a show based on Millennial, please? (laughs) And I wanted to recommend investing in a fabric shaver. You can pick these up for under $20. You don't have to get an extensive one. But this is a really great way to revitalize your knits. Um, So in the wintertime, I tend to wear a lot of sweaters and I you know, the sweaters end up peeling after a while. Um, So fabric shavers can help you remove the pilling from your sweaters or any other knits you might have them on. This is also a really great way to reduce your waste or carbon footprint because you can get more miles out of the clothes that you already have. Well, thanks everybody for listening to today's episode. If you have any feedback, you can email millennialshow at gmail.com or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You'll get lots of show clips. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and our new TikTok. But on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. And I saw that Chloe is promising to never post any 10-minute videos on our TikTok. So that is Thank our promise, promise to you. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.